myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is comedian and personal trainer, Cheyenne Jahani. Cheyenne is a local comic here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who's starting to make waves in, in other cities as well as more clubs in this scene. He also is a fitness professional who majored in kinesiology and has always had a fascination with the human body. And it was a fun conversation. We recorded this back when we were both working with Liz Mealy in September. And we just decided to do an episode before the show. It was a real fun interview. Uh, we talked a lot about comedy. Uh, we shared our past about DWIs, as Cheyenne has a couple and I have one of my own. And then we get into his fear of disappointing the people that he cares about, which I really resonate with as somebody who's come up short and feels that, felt that burden, at least for, you know, a period in my life, I felt like I always was disappoint a disappointment. And it's something a lot of us struggle with. And I feel it's a good conversation. So let's get into my interview with Shyan Jahani. All right, my guest this week is fitness professional, comedian, and... <laughs> I don't know what else you do at this. I think, I think those are the. That's mostly it. I am either working out or writing usually. So I'm always curious. So how did you how did you get into fitness? Uh, man, honestly, I I was a kinesis major, so I did like that. That was that was like what I went to school for. Uh, and then it was with the intention of wanting to go into PT school, which is again going to be kind of where we jump off into some of this disappointment stuff. But like the uh, I, I wanted to go to PT school, but I did not have the grades for it at all. Like I was not competitive. I couldn't even get, I looked at schools that were like overseas and in the Caribbean and they were still like, nah, dude. Um, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't, I, the, it's a very high standard to become a physical therapist. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. It's basically, you could have got in university. You're the only person that's been rejected by university of Phoenix. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I literally looked at a Caribbean medical school for not only uh, like an MD or a PA, physician assistant or PT, and all three, like my GPA was just like just south of what they wanted. And that was like school in the Caribbean. Like they, they don't have rules, really. <laughs> that's where you can go to get medicine, bootleg yeah. medicine. Yeah, that's where you go to get so you're like, you know, you're plastic surgery done for like 200 bucks <laughs> so that's so. interesting so you've always been like i guess fascinated by kinesiology and the physical body yeah dude uh, so i always always enjoyed it and actually for how like robust AM's like fitness facilities were i seldom went to them because i was just too busy like doing drugs and drinking in college but like also being a kines major and like handling that side too um and i didn't really get back into it until 
several years after college and then going, doing other jobs, working other careers and stuff like that. And then uh, I'm literally 15 years later, it's come back full circle. And it is, it's how I make, it's like my bread and butter and then comedy and acting and all that stuff is just kind of like the supplement. So that's how I kind of treat my job too, is like when the pandemic hit, I'm like, boy, am I glad that I didn't decide to go like full-time just comedy. Cause I'm, my biggest fear with comedy is say I do good enough that everybody books me, but not good enough that it's like for like continuous. Like, so like one year I'll do all these clubs and make all this money and then the next year they're like, sorry, we're not going to have you back. And it's just like you just. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just becomes scorched earth as far as, you know, and then you have to go back and try to find a job and with no college degree. And in my 40s, I'm like, yeah. there's, there's no chance. Like, I have no, <laughs> I have no chance to do You're all screwed. in because I just have lived too long to know the <sighs> the downside of if everything doesn't work out. Like, I am. Yeah. Vaguely, but yeah, I just know all, I just see all the downside of it and knowing how hard it was to get where I'm at and just how lucky I am to have it that I'm just not willing to throw it away. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a safe bet. Also, were you thinking about doing that? Were you thinking about just being like, oh, yeah. see you later job? Yeah. And how many times have you thought about doing that? Cause I mean, you've been at comedy for a while. So have there been like peaks where you're just like, I think I can do this and like sustain, you know, my standard of living. Well, 2006 is when I started comedy, and the the goal was is in two years be good enough at comedy that I can quit my job because my job, I was working like a temp job. I was I've been working. I was working temp jobs. I was had had to move home with my parents, and mm-hmm. we were. I was living with my mom, and then 2006, 2007, I lost my job. You know, my temp <laughs> job at one place and got a second one, and it was a, it was a two year contract with the company that I work for now. So I was, yeah. I was like, I got two years, 2008. I've got two years to make comedy work. And so from 2000, you gave yourself like a finite. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I was like, I was just afraid. Cause I was like, I don't know where I'm going to get my next job. I don't know if my next job is going to allow me the work hours to do comedy. And so I went to every single open mic, every single show, everything I could possibly <laughs> do. Like I would do, yeah. I would do three to four open mics a night. Like my, my record's still six. <laughs> And I would just work myself to exhaustion. Wait, that was a Thursday. Year? That was a Thursday. So what? You, uh, this was what year? About two thousand nine, because I had just wrecked my car. Oh, okay. And so okay. I was like two thousand nine, and I was like going to like they had an opening bell at seven o'clock, and I would do backdoor open mic. Then we had a, uh-huh. a open mic in Frisco at a bar in Frisco. Then they had an open mic on a bar in Arlington. And then, they had, and then they had one, a bar in Fort Worth. And then I ended the night at Fort Worth Hyenas. Jesus, dude, that is, you probably did you was your last spot like at one o'clock in the morning? It was close to 1231, but it was a hyenas Fort Worth. And I lived like in the H-E-B area. So I was like, well, Uh-oh. it's like 15, 20 minute drive back home. But it started in the south side of Dallas, you know, then up 75, <laughs> then all the way up to Frisco, then down to Arlington. <laughs> Frisco, yeah. You literally drove the worst, like those are the longest hauls in the world. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Going north and south isn't too bad, but going east to west in the Metroplex is just a freaking beating. Can we say this? Can we say swear words on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. It's a fucking beating to go east to west. (laughs) 
and that's one thing I I will I still almost outwork a lot of comics because I will go to open mics and across towns and you know I'll do two in one night I will you know Tuesday I did three I did a funky picnic in Fort Worth then it's just down the street there's a bar called the low key tavern I did that and then in Hearst there's the wounded duck that starts late mm-hmm. and so I was like okay I'll just do all three oh, of these is wounded duck good do you like them it was all right like it was there was 10 to 15 people but they're not the stage faces a pool hall which I don't understand because the bar is stage left like every all the bar and all the seating is stage left and then it's there's a little bit of seating yeah. in front but then it's all pool tables in the back uh yeah and there's people playing I, there's nothing worse than going up when people are just like breaking <laughs> they all stopped but i was it wasn't it was a fun mic funky picnics on tuesdays is by far right now my favorite since comedy arena i guess moved to thursday yeah do you, is comedy arena's pretty good too it's all comics for the most part unfortunately just because it's hard there's not much i guess foot traffic in downtown mckinney except friday and saturday mm-hmm but yeah. it's not a bad mic. Like I did it because you got two yeah. four minute sets and one night you got to go up twice. Uh-huh. And so that was That's nice. Yeah. So I was just I do I do kind of do it by cumulative stage time because I've learned in my experience that there is more I can I can do more with stage time than just get laughs. There's things that I need to work on, like uh, can I pronounce this? Can I where's my act outs at? Where you know I can I have feel more free to do act outs yeah. in an empty room than I do like a full room. That makes sense. Like I just feel mm-hmm. more. Com- I guess it maybe also is like I tell people that go late. I'm like that's a gift because going late and just getting used to a quiet room and being comfortable with it being quiet is such a skill that you you can utilize as a comic later on because you're not nervous when things don't work. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's like conditioning through and through. I mean, you condition yourself to the to the hard stuff. That way, when you actually experience it in game time, it doesn't really. Uh, I mean, it's it's like second nature to you. Also, I find myself likening things in comedy to things in athletics, and things in athletics to things in comedy all the time. <laughs> like I was parallel to when I was in breakdancing. That's kind of that's kind of how I got the work ethic for comedy is because like you did break. Well, hold on, back up. You did breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> like in the when early, early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s and stuff Please like that. Please bring this back, Perio. Please do this. <laughs> that's why I could do that's why I could do that Chuck E. Cheese bit so well is because it's from all all the old dancing experience and stuff to be able to <laughs> It's all the popping and locking. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's just <laughs> It was going to those like hangouts and just working on watching those people work at, at breakdancing. I mean, the hours that those got that the people that taught me would spend like doing things like to do an air chair and stuff like that. Like they said they would watch movies and they would just lean back during the movie, you know, at home, like watching home movies on the floor. They would sit there and lean back and just get used yeah. to because it's all breakdancing is all just you know, kind of supporting your body with other body parts. Like when you like stand on your side air chair, basically you're using your arm and you brace it against your side here. And like it's a center uh-huh. balance thing and you just hold yourself up. Yeah. It's all a weight distribution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you mm-hmm. just learn how to do that and condition your body to support you and 
you know, find that so that when you're in right dance competition or, you know, just at a club or something, you don't do that and mess yourself up. But I mean, or warm up before, (laughs) but as a kinesiology major, I'm sure it'd be fascinating for you to like, to go to a class and just kind of learn like little, like ways that they just, to support this to support themselves in weird positions and stuff to hold, be able to hold their body. Yeah. That's also, that's like, it's kind of Pilates ish. Like yeah. it's almost like just holding static poses that are, and then you're doing like small pulsing movements and stuff like that. Uh, I am not above any, like I will take a dancing class. I love dancing. Hip hop classes have been fun in the past. I've, I've frequently done them just, just cause of time, but I, would never say no to something like that. I also would say there's very few styles of exercise that if someone, I like, I've even taken uh, like an introductory, I call like a group on for a parkour lesson. It was like yeah. semi-private parkour. Uh, that shit was fun, dude. Like you just learn uh, there. I learned how to like land gracefully and use my legs like springs and how to not land. So like that lends itself to success when you're doing a little bit more like plyometric or like jumpy stuff when you're doing, any kind of training or something like that. You can kind of teach people how to land correctly and not jar their knees and do all that kind of stuff. So it's really beneficial. It's cross, uh, it's multidisciplinary dancing is. That's awesome. <laughs> I I was dancing at clubs and then like my friends were, break, some of my friends were in break dancing and they told us, me and my friends about a break dancing class. And so we took it and my friends both bowed out like after two classes and I kept going. I would, I just kept going and I would go to them like to gymnastics things where they would do, and I would goof around there too. Like there'd be trampolines. I'm sorry. I would just be like, I can go bounce, (laughs) you know, I'm going to go bounce for a while, like a tramp, like a trampoline park. Have you been to a trampoline park? No. Have you been to one recently? Like a proper one? Yeah. No. They're fun, dude. But it was like a gym down on the other side of town and I lived in HEB. So I would drive all the way or Carrollton. So I would drive all the way almost past past the village to this little gymnastics gym like a rec center yeah. the gymnastics and we would all hang out and do break dance moves and stuff like that and just i just learned how much you know that there was no there's no you even though if you're naturally gifted there was no yeah there is a lot of work involved and you had to yes. you had to constantly practice and that kind of mm-hmm help me like to go to open mics like okay these are all practice sessions i just get every practice session i can get i didn't care yeah. about how good they were i i do i care sometimes now like if it's at some point i'm like okay this is you know not as beneficial as other open mics uh-huh. and i've learned to separate myself because there were there were years like from 2010 to 2012 is all a blur to me because I would literally go up wow. every night of the week, mm. Sunday through Saturday. Like, cause I would do weekends at back door. I was going to say, did, did you think that was like, was that hurt hurting you more than it was helping? Or was it, were you still in that phase where it was like the practice was beneficial? Cause I do, I do think you reach a point of diminishing returns when you do, yeah. when you're spending every night. I would say it, it helped me with st- with stage presence and just stand up, but it hurt me in writing because I never, yes. I never cultivated new experiences or anything to write about. Cause I would always be constantly working on stuff. Cause I've still got a backlog from the past. Like I'm still, I'm doing jokes right now that I wrote back in 2016. Like I think I'm at 2016. So I'm, I'm like five years behind because I'm just, 
I just can't, I have a discipline that I can't just play with everything that I write now. Like I can't be like, okay, new joke and everything else doesn't matter. I have to try yeah. to, I have to try to work through everything that I've written because everything I think deserves an opportunity. Sure. Yeah. At least got to take a crack. Yeah. I don't want it to sit in my notebook and never be looked at again. So I'll go through old notebooks. Like I'll, when I start a new notebook, I'll have an old notebook where I just read what I wrote and mm. try to make something new out of it. Some of it's like, what was this? What was I thinking? Yeah. That's kind of like you're, you're like what we were texting about earlier where you're saying, where I was saying like, you don't want to die with stuff still in you and you want to at least take, give it, give it an honest try and give the jokes like their, their time on stage to see like if they can, if they can go anywhere. But I completely agree with you. That's like one of the biggest pieces of, advice I give to uh, people at open mics, newer people and older who are just struggling or in a slump. I'm like, Hey, this is probably like a, a really weird and not idea that you'd be thinking of, but why don't you stop going to open mics for like two weeks and, and just like go shoot the shit and do stuff and go hang out with old friends who are not comedians, like comedy adjacent friends that, you know, are maybe from high school or whatever, because you need to, you need to be experiencing stuff. You need to be living stuff. So you have something to talk about. You can't just spend every night on open mic and expect to, have new experiences. Now, some things might happen at an open mic or you might cut up with some friends and recall an old story. And they're like, that's a bit, there's value in that too. But like, like I was saying, I think there comes a point where you've, if you're blocked up enough, like if you just have that much of a writer's block, you, you need to kind of shake it up. Like you need to do some, go see some movies, go read a book. It's different than what you normally have. Do what you can find. Yeah. And that's what I, I try to do that. And try to live outside my world because i'm very i'm very i'm slightly i would say on the on the spectrum somewhere because i have a set routine so everything i do is almost like clockwork and yeah. it just kind of keeps i guess keeps me sane because i'm like i don't i don't have any ideas of doing anything other than what i'm supposed to what i feel i'm supposed to be doing like today's grocery shopping day at some point i've got to go grocery shopping yeah and do chores and things of that nature and so it kind of keeps. So you live, you live on a routine. Yes, I, and it, that yeah. routine is certain open mics, certain days, and then yeah. I'll change it sometimes. And I'm like, okay, let's do this and shake it up just to kind of give me an idea and just look around how other comics are doing and stuff, and just kind of keep low key tabs. Like I don't, I don't want to micromanage, and I don't want to try to watch everybody every day to try to see the the microcosm that they've grown because it it's such a small scale i want you to i want to give it time so that the next time i see you it's not just gradual it's super noticeable it's like oh my god like how much better has this person gotten yeah like arun was yeah. like that for me arun was when i first mm -hmm. started he was fast paced he had a lot of words that i felt he could he didn't have to say and mm. and I would just listen to him every so often and I would, you know, hear those words every once in a while. I'm like, okay, he's still working on it. And then, you know, a couple of times later, I was like, okay, he seems like he's gotten rid of those, I guess, filler words. Those, and I was, I tried to explain it that to a booker, it just sounds like you're putting and or in every sentence to make, to make sure you hit that 1500 word essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to fill the space with something. Yeah. So. And I try he because he thought it was relatable. He's like, I'm trying to relate, and I'm like, but you don't have to. You don't have to say the specifically. Are you relating to this? Just assume they are. Yeah, 
there that's that's some solid advice that i've gotten for a lot of people also not uh asking questions so much and i'm guilty of this often but i definitely try when i'm thinking about it and i'm not like too in my head and not you know thinking of all my steps pulling the room first like being like hey does anybody in here blah and then like you go to go into a bit about it just go into the bit about it. If they're on board with you, they're on board with you. You don't need to, it shows a lack of confidence. I think of that. I can't remember who told me this. It might actually be Willie Lee Martin who I'm opening for next week, but he, I think he said, don't pull the room because you don't, it shows a lack of confidence in the premise. If you've tested it and it's show, and it's something that you've done before, just assume the fact that, so there are some people who have either been in this situation or it's relatable enough to where they can, they can go with you on the joke. It's fine. Yeah. I usually just state what my emotion is in a lot of stuff because I want them to feel they agree or disagree. If I don't, if I make it ambiguous of my feelings and I'm giving them, I guess, all the information to to feel anything. And then it starts to, you'll see like, that's why some jokes are good, but they don't hit because you're giving them license to say, well, what do I feel about traffic? You don't, if you say, you know, you've been stuck in traffic, instead of I hate being stuck stuck in traffic. Yeah. Now you've yeah. Um, you've immediately given the position to be, yeah, I hate being stuck in traffic too. Yeah. That's something to agree with you on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yes or no versus being stuck in traffic. And how do I feel about being stuck in traffic? People all of a sudden are in their own head, even subconsciously, they don't realize it, but you've given them like a minute to process. And I was like, <laughs> you can already set them up so that you can have the big reveal by Mm -hmm. making the feel one way or the other yeah yeah you just you just need to go into the topic there's no there's no preface that really needs to be had and linking it to an emotion is probably like the biggest piece of advice it's the people who just go up and talk like talking heads and just start saying shit Mm -hmm. um, without really and even and i think that there's a gradation this i think you can have like uh it's got to be a strong emotion because there's got to be a reason you're talking about it in front of x number of people on stage, you can't just be like, "Yeah, I'm," you know, d- online dating is tough, or like, eh, "It's a little difficult sometimes." No, that, people are going to be like, "Okay, then I don't care about what you have to say because it's clearly not bothering you enough." But if you yeah. go like, uh, "I want to hang myself every time I open Tinder," that's like a strong emotion. Like yeah. people are like, "Oh, this man really hates online dating." I'm just using that comparison because yeah. it's just beaten to a pulp out, out there. So, um, you know, I, I'm always interested to hear new takes on old shit. <laughs> well, yeah, and. And what I've realized by listening to old specials is that they're, everything's still the same. People, it's not different. In the 70s, it was blind dating. In the 80s, it was video dating. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? Video dating? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> you made a video. Cassette. Oh, sending tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in the 90s, it was, you know, online dating. And now uh-huh. it's Tinder. It's, yeah, all, it's, it's still the online. same. It's still the same thing. It's. I'm doing this with the expectation of meeting somebody, but it's the dumbest thing. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand the instant gratification of somebody else match with me. Yeah. And then on the other side, everybody, every girl has like 18 matches, like with, as soon as they open it up. Yeah, yeah. And so they're just being selective with who's already, who's already said yes to them. Yeah. Which is really just, I mean, we know the drill. Most guys are just like, right, 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 right. It doesn't, like, there's no discretion on it at all. I actually did. No. What's yeah. what's one you've done that that you, now that uh, you're... In online dating? Yeah. Uh, so, I like, Tinder and Bumble. So, 
Katie and I met before ones even like Hinge and stuff were out. So like OkCupid was around. Um, I think Match.com was just going to an app. And then there were like really dumb, like Tinder and uh, Bumble were like kind of the juggernauts. And then there were other little ones like Coffee Meets Bagel and like all, all those like really dumb small ones that like, I think they were just flashes in the pan or maybe they got bought up by like big yeah. ones or something like that. Um, so Tinder and Bumble were fine. I met a couple of girls on each of those respective platforms. None of them were really terrible dates. You know, some I kind of knew a couple of dates in that I wasn't going to click, but we were maybe still having fun. And then Katie and I started talking. And she was still, we were both still, we were like talking, but not really dating. Cause we were just like, we don't want to date a comic. So we we're both kind of like doing our own thing too. And then we both popped up on each other's dating apps and just like ironically matched texted there as like a bit just to be funny. We knew each other and we would talk. And then eventually we just started hanging out more and hang, hanging out more. Yeah. Let's see how far this bit <laughs> just goes. Kind of sprouted from there. The, <laughs> yeah, dude. So the thing, the, the thing that honestly like kicked the bucket over was uh, she and I went together to a speed dating thing with the intention of dating, like genuinely going to a speed dating thing and seeing what it was all about. Cause neither of us had done it. We were both like comedy friends. We we're kind of running in the same crew, but we were like, we had an eye for each other, but we weren't, really we liked hanging out but we're both still like yeah this is probably a bad idea we got to the speed dating thing it was like 40 dudes and like three very frightened looking women kenny and i walked up the stairs there's a bar in uptown i don't remember which one we walked upstairs looked around both mutually turned each other and goes yo this sucks ass and we left sat down at the bar downstairs drank hung out and i think that's kind of where we started to kind of realize that maybe we were clicking more than we ever would with anyone on the speed dating side of things so yeah, yeah, we started hanging out more after that. So <laughs> you're also someone that's, I guess, seeing yeah. another comic. What is that like? I think it's easy. I'm, but I, I think you also have to care enough about the person, other than your your own career. At the same time, like you have to be, yes. you have to be okay with whatever they do and not put your nose in their comedy. I would say. Yeah. I, I've told her a thousand times that nothing is off the table. I was like, if if I do something like, you know, mortifying, like mortifying and embarrassing and you want to take to the stage, uh, it, it's fair game. Honestly, I got to have thick enough skin to deal with it. Now, if it's something that's like, you know, if it's something that could, you know, potentially damage you know, like people's respect of me, or if it was something that like, I think she would, she would naturally not do something like that. And I can't really think of a really good example there. Anything, anything embarrassing or, you know, bathroom or sexual or whatever, yeah. all that stuff's on the table. I don't, I don't care. We're human. Like we all do weird, dumb, embarrassing stuff. And I don't care if she goes on stage and talks about it. And she's kind of the same way. I don't really, I don't really go in too much on her outside of just like a lot of the more recent, like, uh, like trying for kid stuff and all that kind of stuff, which is, is fun in and of itself. And she's got her take on it. And the fun thing is like, when we're both on a show, we both have two different views on it. Uh, of where we're both coming from kind of in that realm. But like, uh, I, I don't tell her to censor herself on anything. We both understand each other. I'm sure you know that like if a gig pops up or if you have a show that would be beneficial for you to do because it's something you're trying to get your foot in the door at a club or something like that. And we have a date night planned or something. It's really convenient to date a comic because they understand. Like they would be like, you know what? Yeah, that's, you know, go do that and friends show or go do that spot over there because I know you've been trying to get your foot in the door at Addison Improv or wherever. Uh, and because, you know, they're trying to do the same thing. And conversely, like we kind of like boost each other up. I think Katie enjoys doing stand up enough. And I think she's going to continue to do it, you know, in whatever capacity she chooses to. I, I think for me, it's like I'm really trying to like hammer, 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 get better. I'm talking to, 
you know, local and headliners who come in, you know, offering, you know, if you're ever down in the Southeast region and you need an opener or something like that, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more, uh, you know, make it some sort of a, a kind of a, a revenue stream for me, but you know, it's not all about the money, but getting more serious about it. Basically. Yeah. I think once you start getting paid for gigs and, you know, you start establishing yourself as like, you know, a professional comedian, I think it's, it becomes a job and it's something that you need to take seriously and you need to put, you know, marketing dollars behind it and you need to be marketing yourself and refining your it's there's there's a lot that goes into it as you know yeah as a as someone who's been doing it for several years so it's one of those things that i'm like i've i'm having a hard time like realizing it's like i need to i need to do tiktok i need to do you know i need to do stuff that's not because it's not as much stand-up video as what people are telling me now is like they want to see like the period the like the the tender lip sync of it or, you know, living it or acting it out versus the stand yeah. clip. And so, yeah, I'm like, Oh, I don't know, man. I've got to do it that way. And it, well, I mean, what do you think? Like all these social media apps just kind of come and go. So like you get good at TikTok, Okay, cool. You get a following. And then there's going to be another app that's going to take the next generation by storm. And then it's going to be another platform. Like I, I see this with older, like maybe plus or you're about, you're probably about five or six years older than me. So like comics that are about 10 years, my senior, they're like, they were just absolutely mind fucked about having to like get good at Instagram. And, you know, Facebook was first and Twitter, you had to be a good Twitter comic. And then Instagram was like, ah, now I got to learn this platform. And now I see some of these people like, okay, TikTok now, like we got to get on TikTok collectively. Okay, cool. Let's do this thing now. I think they come and go. And I think it's important because there's nothing there's no easier way to get yourself in front of potentially hundreds of thousands of millions of people. So I recognize the value, but there's also just a part of me that just hates social media so much. (laughs) But I, you know, it's just one of those things where I like being able to control the environment. Like I can in stand up. I just hate, I just, I I don't like being, I'd say almost like center stage. It's so, that was one of the things that held me back in breakdancing is that I wasn't the breakdancer that would, you know, jump out in the middle of a circle or anything. I would stand in the back and cheer on and, you know, like, ooh, that was really tough. Yeah. But I would never be that guy that, like, hunted for the spotlight until I got the stand-up. And yeah. I'm like, now I'm, you know, like, scrappy. I'm like, let me at him. Like, any any crowd, I'm like, you know, just put me up there. Yeah. Put me in yeah. coach. And... <laughs> I just have a fun time with it and it's it's I see the benefit now because of how wh- where I'm at in stand up like that I'm a decent to fairly good comic and I'm like I'm like huh you know I've now I just got to you know I need to put that out on display you know otherwise you yeah. know my 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 I guess map will be very limited and it's hard to it's hard to get I guess further out into other clubs and everything else it's like how do you i'm learning trying to get my foot in the door at all various clubs across the country and just mm-hmm. it's like you might not know me but here's what yeah I do. i'm exactly and sometimes even a video can't do that justice because like honestly as someone who has booked and ha- had i'm sure you've experienced the same with people sending you kind of like unsolicited videos i'm just like uh, like if you can't get me in the first 30 seconds of the video, it better be a banger up front because I won't, I won't stay with it. And I also would know when people would send me like 10 minute clips on Google drive or on Dropbox, I'd be like, motherfucker, like, no, I'm not watching a 10 minute set 
of yours, unless it's really captivating, or if it's someone who you know I've maybe heard about their the their pre or their uh their uh, reputation precedes the video or something like that. Like it's like okay, cool, I've never seen this person, so I'm glad they sent me this video. We were looking to have them come through at DCH or something back in the day, um, but that was that was kind of like you have to have this kind of stuff on the ready. And I think social media kind of facilitates that, but it's also about like having a lot of the stuff you have, like a business card, a good EPK, all that kind of stuff that you can put out to those clubs to hopefully get you in the door. So, yeah. So when did you start stand up? Like what got you into stand up? Uh, so my origin story is seven years ago. I had always wanted to do it. I never wanted, uh, I'd never like sacked up and did it. And then I, this was back, I can't remember if it was my first or second DUI, but it was one of them. And my license was suspended and I couldn't, I was taking the bus everywhere. So I worked downtown and I lived all the way up in North Dallas, like at like Marsh and Frankfurt or something. Mm -hmm. So I was, I just took, I took buses and trains everywhere. And one day leaving work, it was a particularly bad day at work. It was a Tuesday, it was a beating and I just wasn't paying attention. And I literally got on a bus that had one, it was like a 61 versus 62 type situation. I got on the wrong bus that didn't take me to the train station, but it went down to Deep Elm. And once I noticed, you know, it, it didn't take but a couple stops for me to be like, oh fuck, this is going the wrong way. And then it dropped off right at the corner of Good Latimer and Elm, like other by the 7-Eleven. And I just got off the bus and I was going to regroup, find another bus. It was late or I was going to have to Uber home. Uh, I was broke, so I didn't want to do that one. I had to get to a train station quick. And then I saw Dallas Comedy House was down the road. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'd been Googling around and like I knew when the open mics were, but I never even had the courage to even go watch one. Mm -hmm. But I had just put myself in the situation. I was I had come off the bus. I saw it there. I was like, I know that open mic happens tonight. It was about 7, 730. So I just went and watched. And that's when they changed the sign up system from uh, sign up, show up, go up to email. And I, I, wrote, I jotted down the email. I was like, maybe I'll use this later. And I just wrote it down in my work notebook. And then that next day at work, I like stared at it and ruminated and ruminated. And I submitted and I didn't get on the list for like four tries. I just kept trying. I don't know why. Like it was it was one of those things that for me, it was a lot like snowboarding. The first time I saw snowboarding, I was like, that shit's cool. I want to do that. I strapped boots on and went and I sucked for like four years consecutively. And I was like, I will get good at this. So it was kind of like I got denied the first few times and I was just like, no, 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 no. I'm at least going to try this once. And then finally, you know, four, you know, four or five tries later, I got on the list, went dead last, actually had a decent set <laughs> uh, of like really, really old green stuff that I probably have not touched in years. And uh, the kind of the rest is history. I never stopped doing it after that. I, I did DCH like consistently for a while. And then I started to kind of go to the other ones that I was hearing about hyenas next uh, got bumped off that list. Lord knows how many times by Butch. <laughs> like, it was, I was sitting in the last block and I was one of those, like it waited until 2 AM and then the last two blocks wouldn't be able to go. And then Butch would be like, I'm gonna write all your names down and you're going to go on the first block next week. And then he would lose that sheet of paper. And then we'd be right the fuck back in the last block. <laughs> that happened. No joke, Perio. That happened three weeks in a row for me. So there were three weeks. I was at Hyena signing up at five 30, I, my license was suspended, so I couldn't go home. I stayed in Mockingbird Station until 2 a.m., didn't get to go up, then had to Uber home and then do the same goddamn thing the following week, three times in a row. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's so, great. <laughs> so you, mentioned, you mentioned Dallas Comedy House. How do you think Dallas Comedy House, like that, I guess, because it's more of an improv, like there's more of an improv and there's more of a, I would say improv kind of support system 
to everything that they yeah. do or stand up and stuff that it's very much a it's a cultivated i would say environment that they cultivate pe- like-minded people that want to do comedy in some form or fashion it's not just improv or stand up or sketch there's musical there it's it seemed like it's a it's a very i would say it's a very close-knit group for with a lot of different i would say styles of comedy what was yeah. that like i guess i guess growing up in that environment versus just a regular open mic bars so you know for me it was almost not any different than starting out at any bar mic because at the time it was dch on main street um it was before they moved to the elm it was no i'm sorry it was on commerce yeah and then they moved to maine and then they moved to elm so i started at the commerce location when they only had one room so it was i think it was tuesday night open mic and then wednesday night was the improv jam so i was on like i knew they taught classes and I knew they did improv. I didn't really care to find out what that was all about. I was really more interested in standup. Uh, so I didn't see a lot of the improv and it was all standups there on Tuesdays. So it was, it was almost kind of like a, a very controlled environment for standup. And it wasn't until like they started having the jams in the same facility on the same nights that I really kind of like saw more of that side. So for me, I always just saw it as a standup theater and uh, eventually uh, kind of got more and more into it as I was able to learn more and more about the facility. They moved shortly thereafter, and I uh, I saw I saw more and more as I went there. And it's good though because I think being versatile and learning a lot of different styles can't do anything but serve to benefit you. I mean, sketch writing will help you in writing jokes because you can learn to punch things up. If you can learn to punch things punch things up in a sketch, you can learn how to punch things up in a joke. Improv is great for thinking on your feet. You know, you know all this stuff. I mean, musical improv isn't going to really do anything for you, but uh, I mean, if you want to sing and do stand up, that's fine. Maybe that helps. But they, uh, yeah, it's. It, I thought it was beneficial to be in a supportive environment like that. Um, I know DCH was was pretty warm with like you know being pretty welcoming and stuff like that. And I really just I, I enjoyed the people who I who I met there. Uh, I think one of my first like. I took the class at the commerce location. I took the stand-up class that Lauren Davis and Paulos taught. And that's how I kind of got to be close with them. Uh, and then we just kind of became fast friends. And, you know, from then on, just had more and more responsibility there, started running the mic and, you know, all that kind of stuff there. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought, it, I don't know how much different it would be if I started at a place, say like hyenas, like just did, you know, started doing the Wednesday mic there and like stayed on that for a while before I went out to other places or backdoor. But, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I feel like I only saw it as a stand-up joint until mm-hmm. I learned more about what DCH had to offer, uh, and that wasn't until really they moved. So, yeah, yeah. it was all as somebody that started like in one environment, you know, grew with comics in one environment and saw, and then versus that environment is sometimes the line between support and I would say like it's one thing to support, but I felt sometimes that there was they were just too warm they i try to be i try to be as honest as possible because i've learned from my position that trying to say it in the sweet you know but you know it's it's gonna be okay but this is what i just learned that people you know i feel like if i'm just bluntly honest yes it may in the moment be ow you know but in the but if you get i give you time to mull it over You'll see where I'm coming from. And yeah, like I've given people hosting opportunities and stuff that and they've come back and like, oh, my God, you were so right. Like, because I'll be like, you're not ready. And it's hard for comics. It's all you're all ego. 
because you're doing it by yourself. It's all yeah. you. It's all you on stage. You're in front of everybody. You're the person with the ego that thinks that in a crowd of people, you should be the one center stage holding a microphone. Yeah. And so I get it's that. It's a big responsibility. Yeah. But I get that, you know, that there is this ego. And when people take, you know, basically say to your ego, you're not ready for this. You know, there's a moment, you know, there's a momentarily like, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, there's a defense mechanism for your ego to, you know, dismiss what was just told you. What do they know? Yeah. Because I always see that with younger comics when you're still like trying to get when you're going up on stage with this, like, this is it. This is my moment. Then you're you're probably not ready because yeah. You're putting expectations yeah. of this going well on it instead of just being like, here's what it is and just yeah. going. And people get so would get so bent out of shape and stuff. And then they would then after they would get, you know, a second chance or an opportunity, they'd be like, oh, my God. You know, like, yeah, I've told people that have hosted us like I've never seen anyone their first ever hosting opportunity get it right. There's nobody mm-hmm. that. Oh. There's nobody that you're got there's so much headspace that you've got and all you're thinking about is your material. You're just a ball of nerves up there. I think I I think I had shit written on my hand and you were like it was after I think it was Dean Edwards, you go, don't ever write anything on your hands to me. And I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense because what was I doing other than like this? Like it was all in the like little portion of my hand right here. Yeah. And I, I remember you told me not to do that second show, literally second show. I wiped it all off and just went off the dome and it was a little, it got incrementally better and incrementally better as I got more and more comfortable. Now I just kind of know the topics. I, I have the blueprint. I have the jungle gym and I can just get around from rung to rung, however I want and whatever feels natural. Like yeah. so long as I'm keeping it tight and high energy, that's your responsibility as a host. Like you, you get on, you, you tune the audience for comedy. You keep everyone in line. That's it. I mean, like you're you're a vessel at that point. Like you're moving the show along. So yeah, like Scott Crisp is one of my favorite people, and like he, like mm-hmm. I booked him for something, or you know, she, he was he. I booked him for like his first hosting opportunity. He like, and he was just nervous, and I was like, first critique is, I'm not gonna fire you for one bad show. So, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you don't go up there thinking, like, I've got to have a great show. Basically, yeah. you're going to, you're, you're doing the whole weekend, regardless of what happens. <laughs> yeah. Unless you just do something so outrageous or so negative that Which I has absolutely happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, you, 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 first of all, you belong up there. Okay. I'm not going, you know, you, there's nothing that you can do right now that's going to, so just relax was basically yeah. all the advice. It's like, you are, um, you're really good. And he's taken that and he went to feature before I took over booking full time. But I was just like, you belong up there, you know, just relax. Yeah. You know, no one's going to fire you for one bad show. Just relax, have fun with it. It's an opportunity. It's not the opportunity. And that's why I tell everybody, yeah. it's not the only opportunity you're going to get with hyenas no. or whatever. Just not at all. Yeah. You're going to get m- um, there was some cheesy rom-com movie. Um, it was, uh, I think it was called Buying the Cow, but it was, he was talking about relationships and stuff. There's no, there's no, like, there's no, everybody likes to think of love at first sight, like it's a lightning, you know, like it's, you know, this one lightning strike, a boom, you're in love. 
you know, yeah. like there's this one and it's just like this lightning bolt of emotion. He's like, it's really more like the rain. Like it's not just one person, just pitter patter of opportunities, just off, you know, just constantly a pitter patter of opportunities that pop up. Yeah. It's it, you, you have bountiful opportunities to get something right. And it need not be like super stressful. Each individual up like you, you're going to fail at some point. You're in, this is all the way up the ladder. You're going to have bad sets as a feature. You're going to have, you're going to bomb as a headliner. Like it's, it's going to happen the whole time. So get used to a, occasional failure, but as you get better at just those, those instances have kind of become fewer and far between. So. Yeah. And it's just, I've just learned to let things roll off, I guess, thanks to comics that I've worked with at hyenas and other people, yeah. other, other comics I've associated with that told me that what, what was, they thought was wrong with me. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be tough to do this. Like, yeah, there's not there's nothing there's no bones about it. There, you gotta be you gotta be sure of yourself. You gotta be okay with getting feedback. Um, you can you're more than welcome to disagree or agree with the feedback, and um, it it tends to be you know it's it's less you know less uh, you know hugs and kisses and and you know pillow fights and more like kind of wolves going after each other. Like we we need to hold each other accountable when we have bet. Like I I fucking hate it when I absolutely eat shit on stage at a mic or at a show and I come off stage in a newer comic who I know is just trying to like, you know, make friends and be nice to everybody says nice set to me. Now I love when there, when people, I actually prefer it when I do poorly and someone who I don't know, like a comic I don't know was like, yeesh. Like yeah. I respect that. Cause that's, that's an honest reaction. But when someone who's, you know, again, of no fault of their own, they're just trying to, you know, be affable with everybody. They're just trying to be welcoming. And they, I get off stage after absolutely shitting down my leg and they say nice set or a great set. I'm just like, fuck you. Like, there was no, it wasn't like, don't lie to me. I don't respect you for that reason. Yeah. So since we're talking about that, we'll talk about your fears since that's what this podcast is about. Um, oh yeah, dude! I forgot. I forgot all about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets that way. Like you, I'll talk with people, like uh, different people. I've had people from Netflix and everything on here that I haven't released yet, and I'm just like fascinated by all the stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, by the way, you also have a fear. Um, you have a really. Which one do you want to talk about? Uh, the, the one we were talking about was like disappointing the people you love, which was very, yeah. very relatable. It's a very interesting fear because it's always there are always some great stories involved with with that that kind of haunt you as you go through life. Like it's just painful reminders of, you know, oh, you know, if this happens, like it's just kind of like I don't I can't think of one off it. Like just basically me in school every year with my mom would probably be the one that I I stick to the most because she would. She would attack. She would beat me, but then she would also, because that's how it was in the '80s. People, they let's not sugarcoat it. We got beat with belts, and it's considered child abuse now. But that's what they were growing up with, and they just, you know, carried the torch through. Yeah, yeah, they're just doing what they knew. But my mom would make it worse because she would say things like, "You just don't care." Yeah, and it was the, which wasn't know, true, right? Well, no, you wanted to do well. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I just didn't understand because of what was going on up here. Like I had, you know, there were just things that I just couldn't do well. And I just wasn't put in an environment to succeed. I was an only child left with my own devices. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to leave me alone to do everything, I'm probably not going to do the boring stuff. I'm going to do stuff that I enjoy 
Yeah, that captivates you. Yeah, like I, I hate this phone sometimes because I'll be like, I'm going to be productive today. I'm going to look down at my phone and I'll look up again and half the day is gone. And I'm like, son of a... Yeah. yeah. That's that's probably our... All this collectively, everyone's problem. Man. Yeah. We're all just glued to shit. But that was just me with everything. It was me with Hot Wheels as a little kid. It was me with Legos. It was me with everything you know, that I wanted to do video games. It was me with everything except my homework. And I would just struggle with it because I wouldn't realize I needed homework until I would get in a class the next day. And so I'm like panicking. And like I had, like I had a third grade teacher cause she knew something was wrong. Cause she, like, I just had a, she went to my, I guess we didn't take stuff home, but we had her paperwork. We had a little cubby. Uh-huh. And all of our work would be, you know, we would put all our stuff in those cubbies and leave for the day. And everybody else's cubby was quasi neat. And I just had every homework assignment she had ever given me stuffed in there. (laughs) I I had a ream of paper, basically, like just crumpled in there. Like it took us three hours i think she she stayed with me after school and just pulled out all this paperwork and it was like three hours of work that i never turned in ish probably would have helped you in school yeah but she just and it was it was just her not understanding what was wrong like some she knew something was wrong because i had all this i've never done the work but that's all sitting there and like no with no answer for why it wasn't done Uh oh sounds about right yeah and i would just sit there and play with erasers and everything else that kids do hot wheels yeah well not in school not during class because then they would take it up but like you just play with your, yeah. your school supplies then became hot wheels and so yeah, yeah yeah and so that was a real struggle and i would just remember my mom just telling me all the time that i didn't care and that would that would probably do more da- that did more damage probably than like the beatings and stuff just the just to be terrified of of failing and not knowing how to tell my parents and then not knowing how to say why I couldn't do it. Mm. Yeah. Just being told that over and over again, you know, and so it just, I'd say it just held me, you know, to, to a basically like, yeah, I'm just, I don't care. I guess I don't, you know, I just don't know what else to do. I don't, you know, I'm trying to do better, but it just, everything else, just every distraction was more just would grab my attention yeah i mean i can you you kind of i'm not gonna say necessarily because i mean some of it is on you you could have done your homework and stuff like that but like it you didn't know what you didn't know and uh it ultimately led to uh your parents making an inference that like you didn't care when really i mean you might have cared it was just not the stuff it wasn't homework that you cared about it was other stuff (laughs) well it was just it it just wouldn't i just couldn't focus i had i had an above average iq but i couldn't put it to pen to paper and it was just it was it was very rough and i would try to circumnavigate i would forge signatures i would do everything i could yeah as we would, would you ever before? Did you, were you in band growing up? No. 
I would always like, we were supposed to, I was always last chair trumpet because I never practiced and I wasn't very good. And I, we had practice cards that we had to practice like set amounts of time. But in my parents' defense, a trumpet is a, an abrasive instrument. Like you do not, you have no business practicing that in a house. Um, that the moment my dad found out that mutes, you know, I like, you know, yeah. like really popular, they would like, they would play with mute and I, yeah, yeah, but they would also like, you can also like plug your horn when you want to achieve a certain sound. And my dad, once we discovered one of those, he was like, yeah, you should just play with a mute all the time because <laughs> it like takes it way down. Uh, but I would never practice ever. Uh, I wouldn't even bring my instrument home half the time, which is how the band director knew I was usually forging my practice cards. <laughs> uh, and just because my dad's my dad's initial signature is exactly like mine. Like I, I, in fact, I probably learned how to sign just the SJ signature from his sign-offs. And that's what I use now. I just duplicated his. <laughs> I didn't create my own. So I just forged signatures and didn't practice and got last chair almost by choice because I was also really good friends with the first chair baritone saxophone player. And we wanted to sit together. So I would botch the each each chair test <laughs> on yeah. purpose and he would do really well. <laughs> and we would always sit together. You should write down the trumpet is an abrasive instrument. I feel like that's probably got potential I haven't even thought about talking about how I used to play the trumpet. I think it is. Yeah, it's it's a as an Iranian person. That's the most American musical. I got the most American musical instrument band that I could. <laughs> yeah. Well, I miss percussion tryouts. I really wanted to play like the, you know, marimbas or I wanted to be in the percussion section in the drum pit. I didn't want to play trumpet, but I miss, I literally was on the basketball court shooting hoops. And I looked down at my clock and realized what day it was. And I was like. I didn't even tell my parents to like, so I didn't have a ride or anything. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be in percussion. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I yeah. just thought of that. I was like, that's the, what's the most American instrument? The trumpet. <laughs> yeah, but Yeah. Yeah. I still, I think I still remember how to play. And I, I like, I say that I was bad. I don't think I was, cause I was always in the, you know, every year in sixth grade, at least, at least for what's in my school, it's like in sixth grade, you learn you're in just trumpet class. And then in seventh and eighth, they put you in band, but there was usually like, something to the tune of symphonic band, which was yeah. all the kids who could actually play instruments and then concert one concert two and concert two was like, they were, you know, they were playing like literally in eighth grade, two, three years into playing the instrument, they were playing twinkle, twinkle, little star. I was always in symphonic bands. So I was always in the highest band, but last chair. <laughs> yeah. My grandfather loved music. So he'd make me practice and I would just lie and just doodle around on the piano in front of him. Like while he passed out yeah. drunk. Can, can you play piano? Can't, you can't no. play, can't you? No, I just, yeah. I just, I, it sounds like I can, but it, yeah. You know who can play, and I've heard is really good is Tony Campion. He's been playing since he was like nine or some shit. <laughs> Fucking precious. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I, dude, I love finding out hidden shit like that about yeah. people who, like, especially people who I like, I don't know what all they do. And I only see their like stand up and like bar life where yeah. I'm, Oftentimes, just like, you know, buddy, come on, man, you got to like not drink so much and like get your shit together. But then when they, they'll like blindside me with like, oh, yeah, I do ballet. And I was like, I competed and was like a national champion or something. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, you used to do what now? <laughs> I want Sam Brand to pick up because he said he played harmonica in the blues bands when he was mm. in Mississippi. And so he played a, he played harmonica. Ooh. And I'm like. I'm down because he said he was the, called the Tupelo Kid. Like they called him the Tupelo Kid and the blues bands and like Muddy Waters son. No shit. Put him up yeah. in, in a juke joint and stuff like that. And I'm like, that I have to see. I have to yeah. see. Yeah. 
he because he had stage fright and he talked about like having a few drinks or something before he would go on stage and perform uh-huh. i'm like okay it's like i gotta see yeah. this tupelo kid i gotta see this this blues. yeah man so i always call him the tupelo kid whenever i see him yeah i always i man i always try to poke and prod and find out what kind of hidden talents a lot of people hold their cards tight to their chest but like man is it fun when you can find out like the random person over here was like you know, a world-class, like, uh, ooh, uh, who's it? Uh, Joey Johnson was like, I can't remember if he played Juco or if he was just a high school stud baseball player. You never really think of that with him now. I mean, the dude's like sleeved out long hair, like dresses like he's in, you know, the sex pistols, like, you know, very, very different style than what you would think like a potential collegiate athlete pitcher was, uh, not to say that he doesn't look or seem athletic, but like when he told me that he was just like, yeah, you know, I, I, I pitched, I was pretty good. I had about this mile an hour fastball, you know, I was like entertaining the ideas of these colleges and then I, you know, fuck my arm up. It's always a story where like an injury in yeah. those cases, but it, it's always fun to hear about that kind of stuff with people. I love hearing those hidden gem stories. Yeah, Scott Crisp is a college baseball pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that about him. Uh, yeah. He's, he's an athlete. Uh, who's it? Tyler Elliott's run like a shit ton of marathons, which, you know, for he's lost a ton of weight, but also when it's, we like, when he was a little bit bigger, he was like just running nonstop. Dude was just an animal. Um, yeah, just all kinds of crazy shit. But finding out what people do for their job is oftentimes really interesting for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. tell me about your your fear. Of, like, where did your fear of disappointing people you love come from for you? I think it was. I think it's like largely based on comparing. I think anytime you like, I because I you're an only child. I have a sister who was. Uh, academically better off than I was. I think we've both shook out to be pretty good people. Uh, she just always achieved more in school and, you know, she met a good guy, got married, you know, obviously first, but she's also the oldest out of all of us. When I, and when I say all of us, I mean, there's a principal group of four of us. There's me and my sister and then my two cousins who were very close with on my mom's side. So my mom's brother lives here and we're really close with those two cousins. So we always kind of saw each other as like a quad of children. Um, and so she was like, she, you know, married a great dude, started having kids that she lived up in New York for a little while, worked at Central Park Zoo, got her master's. Like she uh, kind of achieved all these milestones that I was so far behind. So it was, and, and, and honestly never matched up like, mm-hmm. but what I've kind of come to find out later, and this is like, just by way of, you know, mental gymnastics and, you know, assigning some self-worth to myself as well. Um, that's where the disappointment probably rooted from being like, you know, I'm not as good as this side or I'm not as good as that person. So it's always comparing to someone better than me. And then, uh, for me finding out that, you know, I do have a little bit of self-worth is like, you know, getting into things like comedy or, you know, getting pretty good at like sales and stuff like that. Like I had other things that I was good at. She and I just have different, you know, I always say that like the two of us, my sister and I could compliment each other in a pretty distinct way because she has a lot of like organizational and like book knowledge, which I do to some extent too, but I also have like the flip side of like kind of the dark underbelly of things, knowledge. I know a little bit more about stuff that could potentially, I, I just, I have, I have friends in low places. I, I, I came up doing dumb shit. I've been arrested twice, put in jail a handful of times. Like it's, we, we have different knowledge bases. So the two of us together know a lot about a wide array of things. <laughs> so do you feel like your sister was competing with you? Like, subconsciously like she felt like maybe she had to she had to succeed because you were the baby and 
nope, nope. nope. I think she, I think she had me by a country mile and she knew it. <laughs> uh, she, she didn't really, she and I were far, far enough apart in age to where like, it wasn't ever direct competition, but it was always just like, you know, um, you see her succeeding at something and then you feel compelled to do the same. But like you, I just had like a block, like I wouldn't do certain things because they wouldn't interest me. Uh, school never really particularly interested me. I just knew it was something I had to do. Um, hindsight, I wish I didn't go directly into college, um, but I'm glad I did because I don't know that I would have ever done it years later. So like, yeah. it's good to, I think college was good for the purpose of, I think college really proves one point, unless you're trying to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, something that requires the degree. I think going to college and majoring in whatever the other majors are just proves that you can sit still for four years. Yeah. <laughs> like you have the discipline to not fuck off for four years and, a, and you're capable of turning in assignments and retaining information enough in probably the most bumfuck crazy time of your life. You're like 18 to 21 when you're an absolute moron. Uh, if you can, if you can kind of keep your shoes tied during that time, you're good to go. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, that's one thing too with college is like, know what you want. Cause if it's, it also like you have to sit there and think you're going four years in debt. So you're doing this. Yeah. You're paying for yeah. something with no money coming in because it takes all of your time. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the weirdest job. It's the weirdest basically job ever. Like you, you have to, you're devoting eight plus hours a day to it. Plus any student activities or any sports that you're in collegiate athletes yeah. or like people involved in uh, extracurriculars. And then you're paying out the ass for it constantly. You're paying several thousand dollars a semester yeah. and you're not, you're not making any money. And for those of the people, like my sister got scholarships and stuff like that to a lot of stuff because she had great grades, but not, not me, dude. I started out in a junior college and I had to absolutely bust my ass to prove uh, a GPA to get into A&M. I actually only got one B. I went to Blinn over in like Bryan college station mm-hmm. area. And I got one B in one class and it was because the I didn't, I, I did well on the test. The, the teacher didn't like me and told me he was going to give me a B because he thought I was like a haughty asshole or some shit like that. He, I, wow. I, for all intents and purposes scored. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was the biggest dick I've ever, cause I, it was, a, it was like a, I can't remember if it was anthropology or sociology, but I would just mouth off constantly because he was, he was very like narrow minded and I kind of, I wasn't really like woke. And this was back in like before wokeness was being cool. And yeah. I was just kind of like, eh, what you're saying is kind of like, not exact. Like you're, you're kind of like drawing conclusions from like one narrow viewpoint. And I feel like it's a little bit more broad than that. And he's like, who's teaching the class here? And I'm like, I honestly probably could better than you. <laughs> like, well, maybe that didn't help either. But... <laughs> nah, no, that shit helped. <laughs> I showed up to class every day. He hated when I did because he knew he was going to get an earful from me. <laughs> so, yeah. so how does how does disappointing like how has that shaped you? I guess having some a sister that basically was uh, when your parents would come to you with with things that they were disappointed, like why can't you be more like? Yeah. So I think my parents did a really good job of not saying that explicitly, but I think it was always implied in the back of my head. Um, they, the, I don't think that I think they knew better than to be like your sister is better than you outright. I think any parent who does do that is really kind of screwing the pooch. But yeah. they they were very uh, I, I could tell that, you know, they were proud of what she did and they didn't really like I caught more heat for stuff um, that she would. That was not really necessarily an issue for her. So it was more like extra attention had to be paid on me. And I still sometimes to this day feel that way. Like I'm 
almost feel like I'm a little bit of a liability sometimes. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not. And I've like, I've assigned a lot more self-worth to myself now, but you know, you get put away twice, you get arrested, you fuck off and get drunk and do all these drugs and get caught doing all of them and everything by your mom. And you know, the whole gamut, my dad finds out about this, that, and the other. And then the, you, you always kind of feel like even at the age of, you know, 30, 35, you know, as I'm getting up there, I still feel like they sometimes are like, okay, uh, like my dad will still tell me every Friday evening, like, be careful this weekend, as if I'm like in my mid 20s. And I'm like going out in downtown Denton or some shit like that. Like, I don't live that life anymore. But he's still it's like programmed in his head to where like, Cheyenne is going, it's a possibility that Cheyenne could get strike three and get arrested tonight and go down for a felony. Like, it's a possibility that he could kill himself or hurt someone else or take the wrong cocktail of drugs and end up dead or something like that. Like, that's, it's a plausible thought because they've already lived it. (laughs) So I can't, I can't really fault them for that. I just have to do everything I can to reassure them and, and just completely about face course on all that stuff. I have to say, you know, this isn't something you need to worry about. It takes years of convincing years when you fuck up twice you got to make up for it over and over and over yeah. double it's double now because it's you've you, you, had, you may have had them almost okay and then the second strike kind of yeah. eliminates any work you did on the first one and, and, and it compound it compounds yeah it, it makes for as much trust as you lost in the first one you lose threefold on the next uh, and, and it's almost to the point where I think it almost got to the point where my, my mom, I could tell that she was like almost kind of done being so, like, I knew she was always going to love me and be social and like be invested in my, in my interests. But like, I think there was, there was a point to where it was going to be like, I can't emotionally buy in too much. Cause if something bad happens, like the family's going to be shattered. I don't, I think, I think I towed that line pretty good, but I had to do a lot of proving otherwise to make sure that that didn't happen. <laughs> probably still to this day probably still some like cause I'm, yeah. I'm sure if you had any kind of alcoholic beverage in front of them like the eyes would you know i saw i seldom drink in front of them yeah that's why i, I say don't like, really yeah because i feel like if they even saw you like a sip of wine or anything like that's like oh here we go you know like or you know yeah. how many how many glasses is it gonna end up being or yeah yeah you know, it's interesting. My dad now is like a lot more open to offering me like a drink or wine or something like that. I was like right, right around the time of the arrests. Like it was like, no, everyone else can have it, but we're going to keep it on a shelf just out of Cheyenne's reach. Uh, but like for thereafter, I think he's more of I think they've, you know, it's been several years and you're right about piggybacking because mine came. I had just gotten off probation for the first one when I got the second one. And when I say just gotten off, I'm very, I mean like, a couple of weeks (laughs) no no no. couple a couple of weeks like i (laughs) was done i had i officially did not have to report anymore i did not have to do any mailers i had no money to no courts and then right back into the system (laughs) did you get the same probation officer no because i got in two different counties i got both of them moved to dallas anyway because i lived in dallas at the time so Mm -hmm. um and that was kind of by design based on the second attorney or by the first attorney because he was like, if you can get your stuff moved to account the county you live in and you live in Dallas County, that's more advantageous for you. Because if you can think of how much shit goes on in Dallas and how many people are on papers for a litany of things, like they care the least about drunk driving and they are really like hands off with you. It's like all the red folders would call them. It's the aggressives, yeah. the people who got caught hitting someone or assaults or, you know, they're, they're post jail assault cases or they've, you know, aggravated, intoxicated vehicular whatever like all the 
the, they were just the bad ones. You always yeah. knew that where they were in the probation office because that'd be failing drug tests and yelling at their POs. Yeah. <laughs> I learned while well, I was on probation because I was, when I did, started stand up, I was on probation for DUI. So I had just gotten my, I would say I just got my breathalyzer in my car maybe three weeks, like after I started stand up. And it was like, no, I take that back. It was in March. So I had it from August 2006 to March 2007. And I was, I was able to master, like I was able to drink one drink an hour before I started my car. So if I had to drink, I had to wait an hour and drink water. Yeah. I would still pass. Yeah. You learned the systems. Yeah. And it was just, uh, was it yeah. probably the best behavior? No, but it taught me how to pace myself every night now so that I would, you know, I don't go more than three over the course of an open mic. Mm. And so I try to, yeah. it, it teaches you moderation because you can't, I can't get, I can't get negative. I can't, I can't have something have my probation. Like I lost everything right as I got my DUI. So I basically had a mental breakdown in my probation officer's, you know, desk because I lost my job. I was moving back home. So I was going to have to live in Hearst and drive all the way to Louisville to the Denton County probation office. Yeah. Yeah. The thing in your car, you yeah. like it. Yeah. It was, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Had to go every That's month. Had to go every month to smart start over in Irving. Same. I, I got I got mine through them on the second one. Yeah. And so I've, I had to go through them every week and 70 bucks a month to calibrate <laughs> all, that, all that shit. Yeah. It was God. It was a fucking nightmare. I wouldn't put that on my worst enemy. <laughs> that shit sucked ass. Well, I broke one, I think, because it mm. just wouldn't respond. And I just beat it against my steering wheel until it wouldn't work. And so that. And so then they was like, I don't know what happened to this one. I was like, I don't know either. I think it, I think it just was like, I guess maybe I dropped it in the car or something and it hit like, cause I just said, I, you know, I grabbed it and the, the cord snapped back and it hit the other side. And I guess yeah. it, he's like, cause it seems like it's just been, you know, it just got hit and all the calibrations got moved inside. I was like, Oh, don't know how that happened. That's, that's weird. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's so strange. <laughs> but yeah, I had to have, my, you, have my uncle pick me up and then I just took the, the receiver into smart start the next day and then got a new one yeah did they uh did you have the camera on yours as well was nope. there like a camera on the so several years later they would inevitably find out that people were gaming the system by having someone else blow to start the car and they would be have, having had drinks and stuff like that so they'd go out with their friend who was sober and so they installed for me the uh small small little like dash cam that was like it kind of ran through the side panel. The wires would be plugged into the power system there and they would come through and it was just a camera that when the thing would beep to blow, the camera light would turn on. So it would basically take like a sh very short snapshot or like really quick video of uh, who was blowing in the thing. So they could tell if you like were to change hands or something like yeah. that. So My that was invasive. <laughs> one of the bartenders at Hyenas Dallas, the first, the first bartender, Tara, she doesn't, mm. she doesn't work there anymore. Uh, she, Married my friend Dan, and oh. she has to have. Uh, she had a, a like a air mattress, an inflator, in the back of the car because it would like it would do the compressor would do that, so it would m mimic the hum. And so she yeah, would, will that work? Yeah, she had it. To Holy work. shit! It was amazing. That's so smart. 
<laughs> That's so smart. I didn't even, man, I think of any con anytime I can. And that is brilliant. I didn't even, and it's the perfect, if it's the air mattress thing, it's like a little pump with a little hole, just like a yeah. mouth. You just cup it to make sure no air escapes. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect, dude. Yeah, because the hum is they want to make sure that it's not like you blowing specifically something like that into it. <laughs> Man, that's so smart. Yeah. I only got uh, the, the entire time I had that deep lung device, I only violated once. And it was because I absentmindedly uh, did a swig of Listerine and was like in a rush to get to work. So I, did, I like ran out the house. I could usually I knew how to like plan out my morning. So I'd like brush my teeth and, you know, floss and do mouthwash first thing. So then I would shower, yep. you know, chill for a minute and it'd be out of my mouth by the time I'd have drink water and stuff, but I violated it. It was like a flagrant violation. It was like, it was like 0.9 or it was like way above anything. And I uh, went back, it was like 0.15 or something. I was like, oh God. And I, and I ran inside, washed my mouth out real quick. And from then on, I always kept a bottle of water in my car for this very reason, in case I ate something that had like sugar alcohols in it and would get registered. And uh, I switched my mouth out, came back before the timer went up again, blew again, and it was zeros. And my probation officer was like, he, was, he just pointed to it and he just goes, Listerine. And I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I applaud my, I don't know what happened because I'm very fortunate on my first DUI, it did not get put on my driving record. It's on my criminal record, but it's not on my oh. driving record. So I never had the increase in insurance. I've never had the points. Interesting. I never had the points on my license, so I never had to pay the surcharge because yeah. I was freaking out. Like I would call the DMV every time my license kept renewal and ask if my license was suspended because my big fear was I would get pulled over for a red light or something. And the cop would run my license and say it's suspended. Step I, was out always, of the car. I was always checking mine. Yeah. Step out of the car. <laughs> and so I, you know, I was, I'd say like in 2010, like I had to get my driving record for something, I guess for my, uh, I had a speeding ticket and you have to now print out your, you have to pay the, the county to get your driving record for like mm. adjudication. And I was mm. just curious. I'm like, okay. And I noticed like it doesn't have like a DUI on there. Yeah, but it, when I pull on my criminal record, it's there. Like I have my yeah, mug, shot. I have my mug shot and everything on yeah. my phone somewhere. Like I have my mug shot from two thousand six. I was partying with Vinnie Paul Pantera, and I, yeah, I have mine as well. Mine just stopped showing up like in the past couple of years. Uh, when you Google my name, it used to be like one of the first like five or six images of the show. <laughs> yeah. That's what my mind was yeah. like. I was looking at comedy. So I was like, you could Google yourself as a comic. And I was like, it was like 2011. And I'm here. I am like mugshots.com. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who, who took the time to take my picture out of the de- database and put it on like mugshots, this mugshot website. I feel like, yeah, someone has a lot of time on their hands and does that. <laughs> but what does that serve? I don't know what mugshots.com, like, oh, am I somewhere, like, lying about my criminal activity just to make sure that... Yeah, I think people, they literally think that they, that this information needs to be compiled somewhere and uh, someone's got a lot of spare time. Or maybe it's, like, some sort of, like, CODIS database or something like that. Yeah. But I guarantee you it's on file somewhere. I mean, we're on the grid officially, both of us. I mean, yeah. if you've been in the system. Yeah, and that, when cops pull you over, they'll see that kind of stuff. And that's every time I get pulled over now, it could be for any mundane rolling a stop sign, anything midday. I will always get asked if I've been drinking. Always, a hundred percent of the time, 
for, and it can be, no, I can be the most polite person and they'll be like, Hey, we ran your record. Have you had anything to drink today? And I'm like, it's, it's one on a Tuesday. I'm clearly driving back from lunch, which I mean, honestly, I could be drinking, but <laughs> as much as I'd like to, unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to, I have to, have you been drinking, sir? Like I always want to turn, flip it back on that. I, I've just never put myself in that situation again. And, you know, I'll be real honest with the policeman. And that's usually what's my saving grace. And like my sobriety test, that's real. Like that, me pretending to be deaf to get out of a DUI did happen. <laughs> that happened in Euless. And I'm, I'm thankful that my mom at the time lived in Euless. And that's where I eventually ended up when everything was taken from me a year or two later was the cop was i was just pretending to be deaf in this parking lot right off of 183 and uh not collins but a 157 industrial and so i was just in that big yeah. parking lot and i was just pretending to be deaf like i was like i you know i can't hear you you know i'm sorry and just that's wild and that's literally literally because i was so drunk and i panicked and i just dropped my guard and said you have a good night and you go you too he's like step out of the car sir you know and he that's so funny and he I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was like embellished a little bit. I didn't realize it's, that was like it's a embellished a little bit story. that I do know a little bit of sign language. Like I know hearing closed, and so I know how to say yeah. basically I'm deaf, but I don't know much else. Uh -huh. And so I just I was just panicking, and like the fear was real, so I could totally cry and everything. And I was just like, I had just gotten away, and I go, "You too, officer." And then he's like, "Sir, we need you to step out of the car." That's and, hilarious. And he literally he's he if my mom didn't live two blocks away he's like if you can get someone he's like i'm not going to take you to jail right now unless you can get someone down here in the next 20 minutes to pick you up i will let <laughs> you go and i called my mom and she was as, as he drove away and i'm like take me back to my car i was that that's the kind of drunk i was like, just take me back to my car i can make it home now and she was like oh no. god she was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's gone. Correct. What is he going to do? I was like, what's he going to do? See me get in my car. Like I've had cops. Yeah. I've had cops because um, we were looking for something and they were like, they were looking for somebody else. And we went to a Jack in the box and it was closed. And so we, they pulled us over and we're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're just going here to Whataburger to get food because we were doing vandal stuff and the cops were like, you know, we've had a lot of reports of, you know, you kind of fit the, you know, profile going through the parking lot. Was like, yeah, we were going to Jack in the Box, but it was closed. So we kind of went through the parking lot and decided we were going to go to Waterburger. And they sat there and waited for us to go through the Waterburger drive through. Yeah. So for you to get your food yeah. and to arrest, dude, I've, I've always wondered why cops don't just sit outside of Jack in the Box on like Friday, Saturday nights and just feel like, boop, boop, that's what I thought. Step, yeah. step out of the car. Because I've had one behind me. <laughs> I, I, I kind of do this story sometimes as I was at Taco Bell here in Irving and the cops pulled up behind me, like literally like yeah. right while I'm ordering. And I'm like, that's the clearest, most concise order I've ever given. Like I will have two tacos like i was enunciating yeah. everywhere and i didn't want any slur no yeah. list and it, you didn't order any you didn't order like a smorgasbord of stuff you were just like i would like two tacos and a diet soda 
<laughs> and then that's it. And yeah. then you're going to be like, in your head, you're like, oh man, I'm still going to be so hungry. <laughs> Not just with, it's just survival instinct. My adrenaline kicks in on a lot of those. Like I've gone through so many sobriety tests. I've passed like eight. Like Jesus. I've been, you got to stop drinking and driving. <laughs> well, this was before, I like, guess this is all before I did stand up. And so I mean, yeah. like I, this was me when I was at my worst, like we, I was with my friends. I was my best friends in high school. We all lived together. We would party every night. So my routine is to do an open mic. So we go to dance clubs. So we'd be from Wednesday to Sunday night. We'd be out at dance clubs, just partying it up, drinking hundreds of dollars of sh- you know, shots after shots. Everybody was buying rounds we would get so wasted and then I'd be like, let's go. And then I would drive home. Like I broke my nose like three times, Jesus. probably like just passing out on the dance floor and just collapsing face first. And I, we were pulled over quite a few times and I just literally was able to talk my way out of it. Was that rock bottom for you? Rock <laughs> bottom was... Well, rock bottom was getting arrested for the DWI, and then I could, so I got in February, late February, March, I got all that. Then, I guess in May, I got let go from my job where I was getting paid decent money for a, for just an out out moment where a moment I just lost my cool. And I, I disabled the TV station, kind of, or <laughs> well, their commercial. Well, so what I did was I delivered commercials to a TV station. So we had a satellite oh. box where commercial companies would send us the commercials. We would make sure the commercial looks good. Then we would send it out by satellite to the TV stations. And so oh. I was verifying commercials got to the TV station. The TV station get kept kicking me out of the box. And so I rebooted the after after about five or six times. I just rebooted the box. Yeah. And they was it was a station in Los Angeles and they were none pleased. <laughs> and they could brought it back right back to you. Yeah. Like they knew it was they knew who it was and manager says, you know, this I have to let you go because the station's just you know, just not they're just not accepting that, you know, you're sorry or whatever that they're they're not accepting that you're sorry. Well they're just they, they wanted more punishment than what than a reprimand. And then, ah, okay. They wanted someone to lose their job over that. Yeah, and so I was the so, one that lost their job, and yeah. that's when I started stand up because I was like, okay, I've got to, you know, that's this is like a sign that I should try to go for stand up, and so. Wait, how was that your sign? Just because, <laughs> just because I'd work nights, they that 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 shift would be six p.m. to three a.m. Monday or Monday Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday it would be six to six to three thirty a.m. six p.m. to three thirty a.m. and then Saturday I would come in at midnight and not leave till ten in the morning. And so yeah, I there was no way you could stand up. Yeah, I got I I was making money. I was enough to support me and my best friends because my best friends sometimes wouldn't pay rent, and so that was everything and. And that was, you know, it was paying for everything and all my bad habits. And that's basically like that DUI kind of wrecked everything. And so I was fired. I wasn't able to drive because you don't have a license. You got a provisional license that 
allows yeah. you to go from work to home. And if you're, yeah. God forbid, if you're out with it any other time at night, you yeah. can't drive at night. Yeah. Your, your stuff is like over after 7 PM. You have to be home. And so, one of those. Yeah. And so I was, you know, just sitting in my house trying to find jobs and everything. And I did tech support for a copier company where I would run out and do software because they were basically they were they were selling stuff that we couldn't provide. So our our oh. sales leader basically lied to all these companies and I would be the guy that would go out there and pretend to do work. God damn, yeah. It's That's a, like the story. Yeah, so sales I, always overselling. Yeah, and so I would just be there trying to pretend like this is going to work and it was a document store, online document storage and stuff and like it kind of worked, but it never worked the way they wanted it to. And so the company was it like precursor to like cloud storage. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And they, the company went bankrupt and like a couple of my checks didn't go cut, like got returned. And so I had to, they had to pay me like out of, yeah. out of the CEO. But I never, I was never able to file unemployment. I lost yeah. that and I couldn't find a job again until I moved back home with my parents and I found the job that I was yeah. doing test calls with Verizon for like, because I did customer service calls and stuff and I would go out to, I had to go to India for a couple of days to check and make sure the Senate call center. Oh, was really? Right. Yeah. I Damn, that's crazy. Pune Hyderabad. Pune, Hyderabad, and uh, New Delhi. Did you like it out there? It was very it interesting. Like it was, it's, you learn a lot more about your life and how, you know, how people say, you know, we work people to the bone. It's like, you have no idea until you're seeing, yeah. <laughs> you're, until you're seeing like, you know, Indian men on rope ladders with their leg, you know, looping their legs around the rope, hanging upside down, like building skyscrapers and, you know, just, yeah. Like there's no safety. There's no safety that they like we have here. Like, <laughs> like they don't have. Like you see the co the picture of people in the twenties sitting on beams eating lunch, like at skyscrapers. Yeah. I'm like these people are on rope. Like they're just literally hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have no concept of what hard work is. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it was insane. And so yeah. You just you just have a greater appreciation, I guess, for life as you have it. Yeah, I agree. And so, yeah, have you had to go back since? No, do you ever do you have I, to like make that, I got fired yeah. from that, or I got let go. That oh, it was a temporary project, and I was the only one that had to go in because I didn't have the ability to do the work from home because there other two people could. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go into work, and one of the managers didn't like me in that work, and so she complained to my, that manager, and then they started seeing what's the validity of this program where you make test calls and stuff to, to the customer service center to make sure they do courtesy and stuff like that. And so that job basically got, I guess, removed. Dissolved. Yeah. Yeah. And so I came in very uncaring. Like I had a t-shirt on jeans and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Well, who can and, blame you? I mean, yeah. And so I did a cut. I was, I had just interviewed for the job I have now mm. and I wasn't sure if I had gotten it. The manager that 
of that temp company love me. Like she's like, you've tested the highest of anybody so far. Like you were off the charts good at this. And so I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to, you know, possibly get this contract job because it paid more than where I was at. But I was like, it was a real easy job what I was doing. It was super easy. And I was like, been paid $13 to make five calls to the call center and just make sure that they resolve my issue. Yeah. And so you're just making test calls. You were just like, yeah, kind of like QC quality yeah. control type yeah. thing. Yeah. And then I would, huh. you know, I went over there just to kind of, you know, just to make sure that they were teaching that. Like, that's the only thing is I made sure that they're, they were training them to do that, that that was in the training material. And so that's why it was only a couple gotcha. of days. And then I was off to the next one just to make sure I was like, okay, look at your training materials. Yeah. Courtesy words, customer service to try to sound as non out of country as possible. Paul, yeah. used, Paul Verghese used to have a great bit about it. He's like, he's like, now they have like the sports teams come up. He's like, he's like, if you're in Carolina, he's like, he's like Indian guy would be like, Hey, so how are those Panthers? He's like, you've got real Panthers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes. I think I've heard him do that. Because he, he says tigers. Are you me about? But he used to say, like, if you're Carolina, like, hey, how about those Panthers? Like, you got real Panthers. <laughs> yeah, we have one. real Panthers. Ours are just a football yeah. team. Yours, how are? Uh, yeah. How are your Panthers? Are they, yeah. How are they? Are they? Are they killing anybody? Are you? Uh, are you? Are you okay? Is that gonna hurt you? But it was a, it was a, it was a, and so I, as literally as I was like, I had just turned in my, all my information, my badge and all that stuff to the person that was collecting it. Cause the manager I was working with got removed. And so it was somebody else and they literally came and took my stuff and I walked and then I, my cell phone beeped and it was the manager for the job i have now calling me saying you know we have you for such and such position would you willing to accept so as i walked out of the escalator of verizon literally the building i i could walk to now from my apartment like i moved here and i'm like if i lived here when i worked for verizon it was literally a walk to work yeah and i was just ever since then i'm like i'm i've always been grateful and so Do you like the spot you're at now? Like, yeah. is it, it's a job that pay, it pays the bills and you're good to go. Yeah. I pay, it pays the bills. I'm really good at it. And I enjoy, you know, most of the work I do, sometimes it can get a little bit frustrating just because people seem to be unwilling to try to do, to learn and rather just do it for me. And I get very yeah. agitated with that. I'm like, I'm not here. I'm not, he- I'm here to fix it, but I'm here to, enlighten you on how to keep it from breaking again not just here to fix i'm not i'm not your servant to fix your computer i'm not here to complete your sale or make this app go through i'm just telling you what needs to happen and you're in gotcha in the future reference keep that on hand gotcha okay so I mean, it's like, it's still kind of in the QC realm. Like you're yeah. still trying to like, you're, you're kind of like making sure shit is working right. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. It's just okay. more technical. Like I, I, I can tell when something breaks, okay, this is probably why. And this is why it's not working. And I'm very good. And you got a lot of experience. Yeah. yeah. And I just, since 1998 and 
So I've been doing this since dial-up. And, you know, it's just certain things I've learned over the years and just little knacks. And it's amazing how how much a, ca- a different cable can fix things and other things like that. Just clearing stuff out fixes yeah. a lot of things. Like routine maintenance stuff yeah. is like how you keep your tech like in line, like, you know, moving stuff onto externals or not bogging your computer down with so many files. I see people who have like just just sheets and sheets and sheets of files on like their desktop. And I'm just like, oh, boy, <laughs> like yeah. they, those are the same people that have like 1500 unread messages <laughs> in their email. <laughs> yeah. Organization, man. So how so if you, if you have kids so say you and Katie decide you know we're going to have children Katie may have already decided for you I don't know how that works how how do you feel like your fear of disappointment do you feel like that will that will get worse as a father yeah. like do you feel like yeah. <laughs> like now I have to I have to be like some sort of role model for this child yeah, a great question. And, all, and also, um, yeah, I mean, easy answer, yes. I, I just hope I don't shit the bed on that. <laughs> like, I, I'm just going to do the best I can. I, I don't think I'll be a bad, like, I know I'll be a good and, like, very attentive parent. Uh, and I'm excited to be that. But it's like, man, there's so many things that can go wrong. But if you get bogged down with that kind of shit, if you think of every hypothetical, you're never going to go anywhere. So it's like, that, that. that's why I like the idea of this podcast, because you're addressing fears in people. Uh, that they really should actually probably be leaning into. I mean, like my the fear of disappointing someone or dying, you know, completely full of all the stuff that I wanted to create or anything like that. Those are things that I should I can t- take actionable steps to not have be the case. So I can really lean into the things that um, I think are you know big risks and you know hopefully have high rewards. And I can you know lean into you know maybe making sure that I keep everything in line and not disappointing people. Like those are the things that I need not fear, but actually need to kind of pay more attention to. So, yeah, I was just curious. Cause I was like, you know, now it's a different person. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, now I get to see it when I tell them, no, just the look in their eyes. And yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, man. I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you, I'm sure you'll lean on your dad. Like, how did you handle telling me? No, like what did, yeah. what did that feel like? Is it, was it satisfying? Cause sometimes it's gotta be, sometimes it's gotta be like that. Some point where you're frustrated with them. Cause they keep talking. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I do that with my nephews now. Like when they, uh, cause my mom gives them kind of whatever they want. Cause she's a grandma and she does you know, yeah. what the grandkids want to do. But I'm, the uncle and I don't really baby them at all. They're, yeah. they're both the, the two boys are old enough to really kind of discern stuff. So the young one is, she's still playful, but yeah. the older ones, if I don't want to do something, I'm like, listen, man, like, no, we're not going to go talk about plants versus zombies right now because I'm at the dinner table talking to you know everybody else. Yeah. And I, I just tell them, I was like, you got to be patient. I, I do, I do the things I try to do like little bite-sized mm-hmm. things that they should probably know sooner than later. <laughs> like learning things like patience and that the world does not revolve around you and shouting my name a thousand times. It's not going to get my attention any faster. In fact, it's going to delay the process because I'm not going to sit down and have this conversation with you that you should be shouting my name a thousand fucking times when I'm trying to do something. You ever watch Hannibal Burris? Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, but which one? The comedy Kamasato. Uh, where he talks about yeah, being I mean, an uncle. Where he like gives yeah. him an Xbox. Goes, Tell me one of them boring ass stories. <laughs> he talks about <laughs> He's like, they just have no story. Like, no, there's no end to the story whatsoever. It's just. Yeah. 
it just goes into the next story. It just goes into the next thing they want to talk about. <laughs> it's such bullshit He's to be like, a kid. Yeah. He just says, yeah, I just get to listen to that. And then I get to go away. <laughs> I get to go leave. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, who is it? Was it Nick Swanson that had a bit about like when uh, he, when his kids would be telling him about like Pokemon or something like that, and he didn't care. He would take them into the bathroom and start explaining all the lotions to them. <laughs> uh, it was something like that. He goes, yeah, that's, that's me. Every time you start mentioning Pokemon, and I'm going to tell you about moisturizers and Listerine and floss. <laughs> I did like Pat and Oswald's thing about his daughter, like My Little Ponies. Like, he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm into Star Wars and stuff. You know, I don't get into, he's like, I don't do that with my kids stuff. You know, like, I want them to have their own thing. You know, like, she's got this My Little Pony thing. And then he, like, goes into detail how, like, he's, like, a super fan of all these My Little Ponies. Like, this is a pretty, yeah. he just recites it all off. Like, he's, like, he's doing the same thing that he does with Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Got He's doing the thing where he like stretches the joke out really, yeah. really, really long. But he's got all the that. specifics about each My Little Pony. Like if you were super, like, like if his daughter. Yeah, that should memorize. Yeah, it, it's just so funny. Oh, that's like kind of it's it's funny because it's a it's like a charming joke because it's like it shows he really does pay attention to what she's talking about. Yeah. But God, God, does he not give a fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah it is. I think it's gonna be a lot of that. I think being a parent is gonna be a lot of me not. It's a lot of being in a relationship, honestly. I mean, I feel like sometimes you just have to kind of like nod along with yeah. something that you have no interest in and you have to give it equal attention because you hope to get that in return. And I think a lot of people, that's where they falter in relationships. They say like, you know, she, she's always talking about this. Or she's always talking about that. And be like, yeah, well, I mean, sometimes you're going to have to listen to that shit. Sometimes you're going to have to do shit you don't want to do. But you know, if you want to have the same kind of thing turned around, and done for you, then you got to do it. Yeah. So there's no, there's no fans or butts about it. Like it's just, I think it's just civil. amazing how much you retain of that, even though it's just no, stuff you don't want to know, like how much stuff, yeah. <laughs> which he also has like Pat Oswalt has a thing about like the old car jingle, like bill order for like, it's something like that. Like he just has it in his brain and he's like, I don't know how yeah. to, why is yeah. that still there? Like my girlfriend's birthday is not there, but bill order for <laughs> he just, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You remember all the jingles. It's just beating in our heads, man. <laughs> Ads are efficient. Yeah. Well, I thank you for doing this, Cheyenne. Yeah, dude. Uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to uh, get in shape name, or laugh? <laughs> yeah, first first name, last initial. So S-H-A-H-Y-A-N, the letter J, on everything. I snagged all of them. I yeah. got on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, training, you can find me there. Message me. We'll we'll get to work. I do private clients, but I also train over at a gym in Uptown called Trophy mm-hmm. Trophy Fitness. So, so your, I've learned a lot though. Is your dad also named Cheyenne? Or Sorry? Is, is your dad also my, named Cheyenne? Because you said his initials are SJ. No, no uh, the, my whole family is SJs. Yeah, so my sister's name is Sahar, S-A-H-A-R. My mom's name, and this is a doozy. It's a famous one, though. So Shahrzad, Shahrazad, you probably heard, like, in old Iranian fables. Mm-hmm. And my dad's name is Siavosh, S-I-A-V-O-S-H, but he goes by Sia, um, but not in the restaurant. In the restaurant, he would go by Johnny. He took, like, a weird mafia, so pseudonym, because most rich, rich, white Addison elites didn't really want to learn how to say Siavosh. So yeah. well, <laughs> he just you, took a different one. You have a, yeah. you have a very similar background to Aaron Aryanpour. Have you talked to him about mm-hmm. that? Because his dad also ran a mm-hmm. restaurant. Oh yeah. And so he was. Yep, yep. You had to work at the restaurant with your dad. Like, did he make you? 
so uh, the, the his normal bartender was very Catholic and he didn't want to work on Easter because uh, he was, that was like one of the most devout holidays for him and his family. So I bartended on Easter on, on for Easter brunch. Uh, I was not of bartending age. My dad said that if any law enforcement comes around, just go sit down, you know, and play, you know, just sit down and like act like you're drawing or something. Just be like, yeah, I'm the owner's son or something. I'm just sitting in the lounge area waiting for him to get off work or something. He was like, get out from behind the bar. You're 16 years old. You cannot be back there. <laughs> but it was a perfect day for me to, to bartend because all that was being ordered were uh, Bloody Mary. It was two two or three ingredient drinks. Mm-hmm. So it was Bloody Mary's mimosas. Every once in a while, he taught me how to make a gimlet and a dirty martini because he was like, a couple, a couple regulars are going to come order this shit. So like, know how to make these three drinks. And then mostly you're going to be pouring champagne, orange juice, or... Bloody Mary mix, vodka, ice, celery, like all the all the easy stuff. So it was easy. And oh. beer. <laughs> Good to know. Like yep. you you work behind the bar and yeah. Put you, Later on, I did it actually for real in college, like as an actual bartender. <laughs> put it to good use. Like it's like, okay, I learned this at 16 and carried it on. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Well, we got the show tonight too in Fort Worth. Yeah. So yeah, so, we'll be I'll see you tonight and have a good even visit with your parents, I guess, is where you're off to next. Yeah, I'm going to drop them off at the airport. Ooh. I, mean, I appreciate you having me, man. This is fun. I like talking about this kind of stuff. This yeah. is good. Where is your parents heading to? Fuck, I don't know. Seattle, I think. I think they're they're just taking like a like a half week trip somewhere. My dad's retired and my mom can work from anywhere. So Okay. Well, I hope yeah. they have a safe flight and Yeah, same. See you tonight. All right, buddy. I'll see you tonight. Have a good one. So that was Cheyenne. That was a very, I would say, um, almost heavy conversation. Like it was a very honest and telling, you know, interview. I felt, you know, we both kind of, you know, I guess unloaded some things, you know, in our life that, you know, maybe we regret. And unfortunately, even though we regret them, they still happened and you still have to accept and move on. And that's one of the weirdest parts of kind of disappointing people is, is how do you make up that loss? And how do you, you know, just have to slowly work back to where they can see that you're working on it? And, you know, just, just the honest talk conversation about, you know, how measured their enthusiasm was with him about certain things and it really resonated with me i i've struggled with that before it was something that i you know my early moving out phase really didn't grasp until i had borrowed so much money from my father that i could just feel like the disappointment and just the potential of not being i guess good enough it just i could just sense the disappointment in his voice and it and i hated it and it was sad i didn't like to beg my father for rent money but it's something that happened and i have to accept that i was irresponsible and i didn't i didn't plan ahead i didn't have a contingency for paying my rent outside of having a paycheck and I waited till the last minute to try to pay it. And it's frustrating. It's one of those things in life where you look back on it and you wonder, how did I get that far? But you move on 
and you try to you find the good in life and you try to make things better. You shy on just this weekend uh, had a was at the House of Comedy with a I think it's a Cifali. Plano House of Comedy is a new club here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and Cheyenne is already making you know inroads into that club as well. And wish him the best of luck. He's an amazing talent, and he's only getting better with every opportunity that he that he seizes. Check him out at Cheyenne. It's S H A H Y A N J on all social media platforms. I'll also have those in the show notes. He does personal training and fitness. That's another one of his passions. So if you're needing a personal trainer, check him out. Definitely can help you with some very unique and, and inspiring exercises as well as just an all-around cool person to hang with. As for me, uh, I did a show at the Dallas Comedy Club and it went over very well. I hopefully will have some more future dates with that said club going forward and hopefully at some point i will also get in the plano house of comedy i received an email from laughs comedy cafe in tucson to send them some video clips so i have sent them and now i wait to see if perhaps i may even be working in southern arizona which would be just amazing fun time and so i look forward to that as far as other shows coming up I am in Midland in December, and then January I am back in Wichita, Kansas at the Looney Bins, as well as Oklahoma City the following weekend. If you live out in those areas and you want to come see a show, check me out. It'll be January 2nd through 6th in Wichita and 12th through the 16th in Oklahoma City. I thank you guys for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Leave a review if you like what you hear. Send me an email if you don't at somefearfans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Some of All Fears podcast and have a wonderful week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website, GunnarOlson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there, and you can 
Check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.